The birth of Jesus Christ is no small thing in the history of humankind. This was God becoming man, the incarnation. The Bible only talks about one incarnation, Jesus Christ. Jesus came to reveal who God really is and what God is really like. He came to reveal what man was supposed to be like. He came to be the perfect substitute. Let's uh, stand up to our feet, make a declaration, then we will open our hearts and just receive God's word together. Let's uh, do this. Let's hold our Bibles high up in the air. Say this out loud, bold and strong with me. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word. I believe His word. And I live by His word. Christ is my master. And to Him, I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. May be seated, please. This morning, I want to talk to us about the purpose of the incarnation. Why did God become a man? Why did He have to? Now, the Bible is very clear that there is only one incarnation. Not many incarnations as some religions would, would have. But the Bible talks about one incarnation. Just one time God became a man. And that is, and it points to the birth of Jesus Christ. So what is the purpose of Christ coming into this world? Why did God, who is so infinite, so powerful, why did God have to become a man? What was the purpose of the incarnation? I want to just mention three things this morning. As we talk about the purpose of the incarnation. The first is to reveal to us who God really is. And what God is really like. To reveal to us who God really is. And what God is really like. In the book of Genesis, when God created man, the Bible says he created him in his own image. Created him in his own likeness. Put him in the garden. The Bible talks about that beautiful place of intimacy or closeness that man had with God. So much so it says that God would walk in the garden in the cool of the day. Meaning like God just sewing up in the garden. Saying, hey Adam, how are you? How's the day going? So imagine if not that hadn't changed, God would show up in your kitchen. How are you doing? 
or it's up in your office. How are you doing? Adam was in the garden. We're living in a different setting now. But the fact is that closeness of, of, of relationship and communion was there. And Adam knew God. He knew God. He would commune with God. With the creator of this entire universe. Adam would talk. He would have that closeness. That's how it was. But then we know what happened. We know that when Adam sinned, all of that changed. And man no longer had this access to God. In fact, the Bible says that one of the consequences of sin, in Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2, it says that your, you know, God's hand is not short, that he cannot save. His ear is not heavy, that he cannot hear. But your sins have separated you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you. So sin is this big barrier between man and God. So man no longer is able to see who God is. And know God for who he really is. And so with the passing of time. People came up with their own ideas of God. With distortions of who God is. So some say he's like that. And some say he's like that. And some say God gets angry. Some say God is like this. All kinds of things about God. But remember it came out. After a time. And man was separated from God. So you can't trust what they said. And the Bible says that man by his wisdom did not know God. Means just because somebody is brilliant in his mind doesn't mean what he says about God is right. Because man by his wisdom does not know God. So you can't trust what they say either. And so here we are. Humanity, mankind groping in darkness where we don't have a clear picture of our own creator. So much so Romans chapter 1 verse chapter 1 says that we became so depraved in our understanding that we began to worship the creator, creature instead of the creator. Because we had no understanding of who God is. Sin became a barrier. So all of us have our own picture of God. Are formed by so many different things. Misconceptions, superstitions, religious traditions. All kinds of things that form our picture of God. Many of us think it's right. But remember, it's come when you and I are in a place when there's such a big barrier between us and God. 
There's nothing for us to validate it against. So everyone thinks they're right. And so, the purpose of the incarnation. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1, 2 and 3 says, God, who in times past had spoken through the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us through his Son, who is the outshining of his glory, who is the express image of his person. This son is the brightness of God's glory. He is the exact representation of his person. And he's speaking to you and me through Jesus. He says, this Jesus is the brightness of his glory. He is the visibility, his glory becoming visible for you and me. Within the realms and the limits of our own ability to comprehend. And he is the exact representation of who God is. Colossians chapter 1 verse 18 says, He is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 2 verse 9. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Everything about God that could possibly contain in a human body. It's right there in Jesus. So why did God become man? What's the purpose of the incarnation? So that he could reveal to us who he really is and what he is really like. So if you and I want to know who God really is and what God really is like, we look at Jesus. Amen. Because he is the word who became less. If there is something that somebody says that contradicts what is revealed in the person of Jesus, we have to go with what we see in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? It doesn't matter who that somebody is. He could be the greatest theologian. He could be the most intellectual scholar. He could be anybody. But if what he is saying about God contradicts what we are seeing in the person of Jesus, they say, no, 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 no. This is the word who became flesh. This is the fullness of the Godhead embodied. This is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the true representation of God. This is who God is. What did Jesus reveal to us about God? He showed us that God is love. He loved people. The Bible says he was moved with compassion when he saw people. 
He revealed to us that he was a God who forgives. They brought a woman caught in adultery. The world was ready to stone her, but Jesus forgave her. He told her, he just said a few words, all the accusers left and said, woman, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. God's a God of forgiveness. He revealed that God is a God who heals. Not one sick person who came to Jesus did he give a theological explanation why they needed to remain sick. Not to one person. But he healed everyone who came to him believing. To those who are oppressed with demonic powers, he set them free. Not to one person did he say, God wants you like this because you have done miserably. He set them free. Everything Jesus said and did reveals who God is and what God is really like. That's who Jesus is. He even stepped out of God's program for that day in order to bring healing and deliverance. A Roman centurion came to him on behalf of his servant. Now Jesus was not supposed to heal those who were Romans because according to the program, he was sent to the house of Israel. A Canaanite woman came to him for her own daughter who was troubled by evil spirits. Jesus was not supposed to deliver her because according to the program, he was supposed to minister only at that time to the house of Israel. But he stepped out of the program. He said, for now, I'm going to meet your need because you've come in faith, great faith. He always responded to faith in the hearts of people. He loved them no matter what. That's God. So very often God steps out of our own theological boxes and says, sorry, excuse me, I'm stepping out because I'm God and I love people. I want to meet their needs. They have a heart of faith towards me. That's God. The second reason why Jesus came is to reveal to you and me what we are supposed to be like. He came to reveal to you and me what man is supposed to be really like. See, the first man, Adam, that God created, the Bible says he was created in the image and the likeness of God. He was created as a son of God. God had breathed into him. Every time God breathes, he imparts. Meaning God's life and nature was now imparted to Adam. So Adam was designed to represent God on the earth. And Adam was designed 
to do God's assignment on the earth. Whatever God wanted on the earth, Adam is going to do it. But when Adam sinned and Adam and Eve sinned, they marred God's design in them. They lost the life and the nature of God. And instead sin dominated. The Bible says so clearly Romans 5 verse 12. For, for by one man sin came into this world. And death passed on all men. And because of their sin they became slaves to Satan. The ones who were created in the image of God and who were God's representatives on earth now went into slavery to Satan. So much so the Bible says in Ephesians 2 and verse 2 that we actually are walking according to the prince of the power of the air, according to the spirit of disobedience that is now at work, according to the spirit that's now at work in the children of disobedience, meaning we are all Walking by default. We are walking under demonic influence. By default. And so we don't know what kind of people really are to be like. We started hating, killing, murdering, slandering, all kinds of things we do. We don't know what we're supposed to be like. What's our desire? We're confused. So now God becomes a man. The Bible calls him in 1 Corinthians 15 the second man. First man, Adam. The second man is the Lord from heaven. The first man failed to live according to God's design. The first man marred the image of God and the likeness of God in him. The first man lost what God had put in him. But not the second man. This Jesus... He walked according to the will of the Father. Never violated it. Not even once. He walked on the earth. Yes, this was a fallen world. Not the world that he had originally created. Yes, it was a world infested with sin. Yes, it was a world infested with demons. It was not the way God originally created. But he walked the way Man was supposed to walk originally. He walked as the second man. And he showed to us what man was supposed to be really like. How man is supposed to really live 
on this earth. He showed that to us. That's why the Bible says in 1 John 2 verse 6. If anyone says he is in him. If anybody says he abides in him. He ought to walk even as he walked. We have to live as he He is our standard. He is the perfect man. He is the one we are supposed to imitate and become like. Thank God. God didn't say become like the pastor. Because the pastor is also human. I mean, it's good to have some good examples and role models and all that. All that's nice. But remember, all of them are still human. Born of the first man. If you want to know who you really are supposed to be like, look at the second man. He is the prototype. He is the firstborn of many sons and daughters. We are all supposed to be like him. He is our standard. He was our pattern. He is our model. What kind of a man was he? As we already said, he was a man who walked in love and forgiveness. He didn't stand hypocrites, of course. He didn't stand those who abused the house of God. And he had that. He was very strong against that. He didn't tolerate all of those things. But he was a man who when he attended a wedding there was biryani on one side and all nice things laid out there. And they ran out of wine. Now, let's not get into a theological discussion about wine. Right? So in order to avoid that, they ran out of grape juice. <laughs> and all the mixes that it brought from the shop, ran out. And what did he do? He's the man who turned water to wine. He's the man who took five loaves into fish and he multiplied it. He's the man. When he was in the middle of a storm with his disciples, he didn't say, okay boys, it's time for the prayer. Our final prayer, repeat after me, our Father in heaven. He didn't do that. And he was in a boat that was about to sink. He rose up and he spoke to the winds and the waves that threatened his life and said, peace, be still. And the Bible says, we are supposed to be like him. He's the kind of man who, when he saw sickness and disease, he reached out to heaven and the power of God flowed out of him. Luke 6 verse 19 says, The whole multitude sought to touch him, for virtue of power went out of him. And we are supposed to be like him. He's the kind of man that when there were demon spirits in a room that he entered in, they shrieked, cried out, We know who you are. And he brought deliverance to those troubled with demon spirits. The Bible says we are supposed to be 
like him. Like him. Jesus is our standard. The beautiful thing is this, that Jesus came not only to reveal to us the standard for man, what we are supposed to be really like, even though we might be in a fallen world, but he gives us the enablement, the empowering to become like him. And you know these scriptures, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. If any person, any person is in Christ, he becomes a new creation, becomes a new man. All things pass away, all things become new. He says, look, you come to me, I'll make you new on the inside. When you were born the first time, you were born according to the first man. I'll get you born again, you'll become like the second man. Ephesians 4.24, the Bible says, put on the new man, which is created in the image of God. Adam lost that. The new man now is created in the image of God. In righteousness and true holiness, the new man that he makes you, He fills you with righteousness and holiness. He gives you the capacity to walk in righteousness and holiness. It is true we struggle with our mind and our flesh. But inside you, as a born again believer, you are a new man. You have the capacity to walk in righteousness and holiness. You have it. You have the capacity to be like Jesus because you are created in the image of God. And God would be very wrong if he told you and me, I want you to be like him but not give us the ability to be like him. But the reason God can say, I want you to walk as he walked is because he's put inside of us as born again people, that new man. That is created in his image. In his likeness. With the capacity to walk as he walked. Now we must learn how to deal with our mind. And our flesh. So why did God become man? Number one. To show us who. To reveal to us who God is. And what God is really like. Number two. To reveal to us what we are supposed to be really like. So here's the thing. Never measure yourself by another human being. Always measure yourself according to Jesus. Because you look at that guy and say, man, I'm better than him, you know. Or you look at that girl and say, hey, I'm better than her. God never called you to be better than him or better than her. God called you and me to be like so that's the standard. Always measure yourself against the standard. It keeps you stirred up. It says, God, I know I'm really far, but I want to press forward. I know I may not be really like him today, but Lord, help me. Help me. Help me. I want to make the journey. Change me, oh God. He's the standard I want to model my life after. The last reason. The purpose of the incarnation. Why did God become a man? Why did he have to become a man? To be the perfect substitute. 
to be the perfect substitute. Adam and Eve sinned. Sin came into this world. And sin passed through every, onto every human person. Adam and Eve, after they sinned, they became slaves to the devil. So every human person born in this world, by default, is born subject to the devil. Now, sin has its consequences. God is not only a compassionate God, but he's also a just God. Inasmuch as he's compassionate, his compassion never permits him to overlook sin because he's also a just God and in justice he has to deal with sin. Compassion doesn't mean you overlook sin. Compassion means I want to forgive, but I will pay the price myself. So in his justice, Sin had to be paid for. And all of us in sin, we had to pay for our own sins. The Bible says that the result of sin is death. Sin not only stops the current blessings of God, that is Jeremiah 5, 25. It stops the current blessings of God, but sin has its eternal consequences which takes us to a place called hell. Which was not prepared for you and me. God never prepared hell for man. The Bible says that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels when they rebelled against God. But now humankind finds themselves on a one-way ticket to a place called hell. They were not designed for it. But their sins are taking them there. Our sins are taking us there. Sin had to be paid for. Life had to be paid for with life. And the life of the flesh is in the blood. Leviticus the 17th chapter, the 11th verse. The Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. So when blood is shed, it means a life has been given. And that's why the Bible says, it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Leviticus 17, 11. It is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Blood had to be shed. And here's the problem. No man, no woman, born of Adam, could ever give their life as an atonement for the rest of mankind. No one could do it. Because every man, every woman, born of the first Adam, is born under sin and is born subject to the devil. So none of them, none of us, could ever become an atonement, could ever give ourselves on behalf of the human race. No matter how good a life a person has lived, no matter how high we may elevate themselves, elevate them as human beings, they're still born in sin and still in bondage to Satan. Because they're born of Adam. So here is the purpose of the incarnation. When God became a man, 
He was born fully human, but he was not born of Adam. The Bible says it so clearly that the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and said, Mary, you're highly favored of God. You're going to have a child. It's going to be the son of God. Mary said, how is that possible? I'm not married. I don't know a man. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the highest will come on you, overshadow you. And you will conceive and you'll have a child. So this baby that was born was fully human. But he was not born from Adam. In the sense, he was not born with that same sin flowing through Adam's race. And he was not born subject to the devil. So here is now one man. No one like him before him. No one like him after him. Who was born of God. Born by the Spirit of God. Fully man. But was not born in sin. And was not born slave to the devil. And here was one man who walked in a sin, sinful world, who walked in a world that was in the lap of the devil, held captive by the devil, but he was untouched by sin, untouched by the devil. Jesus said, the prince of this world comes to me and he has nothing in me. Nothing in me. So this man, and only this man, could now be the perfect substitute for the rest of mankind. Because he had no sin of his own to pay for. He could now offer his life as a sacrifice. Carry upon him the sins of the whole world. Bear the punishment of the sins of humanity. Go where man had to go. Bear the full punishment as a substitute. Not for himself, but for all of us. Pay the full price for the sins of man. Only he was qualified to do it. So Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem, died at Calvary because he was the only one who could be the perfect substitute for us. Once he had paid the price. Once the atonement for the sins of the whole world was made. He rose up from the dead. He ascended and went back into heaven. Now he did all this. Not so that we could preach a good sermon. Or not so we could have a Bible. But he did all this. So that your life and my life would be changed. He did all this so the lives of millions of people in this world could be changed. And all he asks us to do is to come to him and believe in him. Because when we believe in him, then we are invited into this relationship where now we begin to understand God for who he really is and begin to see God for what he really is like. 
When we believe in him, then he makes us new creatures. And from inside out, he begins to change us and mold us and make us into the likeness of the perfect man. The second man, Jesus himself. And when we believe in him. The Bible says in Romans 5 verse 1. We are justified freely and we are coming to. We have peace with God. We have this wonderful relationship with God. Because our sins have been removed. And Satan has no more claim over our lives. We are delivered from the power of Satan. And brought in to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's why he came. That's why he came. He came to reveal to us who God is and what he really is like. When you see God through the person of Jesus, he is magnificent, he is glorious, he is powerful. You see him as your healer, you see him as your deliverer. You see him as the one who forgives your sins, the one who loves you, who has mercy on you. He came to show us what we're really supposed to be like. Would you and I pray this morning saying, God, I want to be like Jesus. Change me, conform me to the image of Jesus. He came to be our perfect substitute. Would you take a moment this morning and thank him Thank him that he went to the cross for you and me. If there would be any person here this morning that you've never embraced Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, right where you are this morning, I want to ask you and invite you to do that. It's not about accepting Jesus as one among a thousand other gods that will do you no good and makes you more confused. But this morning, if you have the courage and you have the willingness in your heart to say, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ and Him alone. Because He alone is a perfect substitute. I understand it now. And I need to believe in Him. If you'd like to do that, then right where you are, I want you to pray and ask Jesus to become your Lord, your Savior. Tell him that you from this moment believe in him and him alone. Tell him that you will make every effort to follow him and him alone. Right where you are, you can pray and do this. We want Jesus to be in our midst. We want Jesus to be Jesus in our midst. To heal every sickness, to break every oppression of the devil. To undo everything the devil is doing and Jesus is fully capable of doing it. So right where you are, would you just ask him to do it? Ask Jesus, heal me. Set me free. We believe as we pray right now, His presence will touch you. That His presence will break every yoke of darkness off your mind, your body. 
you will not be the same because Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Thank you, oh God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we worship you, God. Jesus, we exalt you. We just want you to be Jesus in our midst. Just touching lives and making people whole in this place. Lord, just undo every work of darkness. Just undo it. Break every work of the enemy. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Before we close, as we were worshiping, as we were just singing, did anyone, did anyone, if, if this has happened to you only, I want you to raise your hand. Nobody raises a hand, it's okay. Did any one of you receive? a healing or a touch of the Lord on your life. You know God touched me, God healed me or maybe it was a mental thing, an emotional thing that just lifted while we were singing, praying. I just want you to lift your hand. You feel like, yes, God touched me during this time. I see two hands, three. Anybody else? You say, God touched me. I got healed or delivered. Four. Anybody else? God did something for you. Five, wonderful. Amen. See, just being in God's presence. He's doing things in our midst. Amen. He's doing things in our midst. I want to encourage you to expect that as you come every Sunday, just being in God's presence, He will do things. Expect your sickness to go, your pain to go, your disease to be healed. It could be emotional, physical. It's Jesus who does it. So come expecting. It doesn't have to be a prayer that's prayed. It's His presence. It's Him that does this. Amen? This is wonderful. Amen? Just being in God's presence and God doing it all. Let's put our hands together. Just thank the Lord. Lord, we thank you for every person who's received your touch or who's, who's felt a conviction in their hearts to turn to you. We thank you. And God, do more of this in our midst. Multiply and increase what you're doing, Jesus. Bring this to a place where even the unsaved will want to be here on Sunday mornings because they realize, they've heard that God is in this place. Bring this to a level, God, where they will bring the demon possessed here on Sunday morning because they know they will get delivered because God is in this place. Bring this to a level, God, where they will bring the sick from the hospitals here. I'm a cohort here. Where when sinners walk in, they will leave saved, converted to Jesus Christ. Increase it, Lord, in our midst. We want you in this house. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. And the Lord be gracious to you and lift up his countenance on you and surround you with his favor. 
and give you his peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.